Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Oh, we have an incredible true crime story for you today. A real mystery that went on for years. Blogger Amanda C. Riley had stage four blood cancer, except she didn't at all. (laughs) And the ruse she went through, the fraud she committed on her friends, her family, her church members, is the subject of the hit investigative podcast, Scamanda. It kind of gives it away in the name. So I'm not I'm not speaking out of school here when I tell you uh, it was a scam. Uh, But how she pulled it off and the lengths that this woman went to to fool people into believing she was ill and to donating to her funds uh, in order to help her with her disease uh, will just leave you stunned in your chair. Uh, The podcast was the number one show on Apple in all categories for weeks and for very good reason. It is riveting. I listened to it with my whole family. When we went to France, we had long car rides. We were everybody was into it like Scamanda, more Scamanda. Uh, The host and producer of the show, Charlie Webster, is here with us today to discuss how one woman managed to scam friends, family and strangers out of more than one hundred thousand dollars with her fake illness. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love that description of your trip to France was just like dominated by Scamanda. Yes, it was. <laughs> and here we are. I mean, I'm 52. My youngest is nine and it appealed to all of us. So it's it's got a wide uh, range of listeners and fans and it's just completely exploded online now. Um, and it's kind of I mean, forgive me, because I know some people actually really lost money and were emotionally wounded by this woman. But it was fun. It was fun. You you made it fun uh, to listen to because the first several episodes, you really are, you know, from the name that it's not real, but you spend the whole time like, how did she do it? How did she do it? And that's mm. part of the, the mystery of it. So how did you get turned on to this story? Uh, just on the name, it's funny you should say that, Megan, because I debated so much. Honestly, I had 20 names in front of me. I was scribbling notes all the time because I couldn't decide whether to call it Scamander and whether it would give the game away too much because for those that haven't listened I actually don't let you really know what happens until the very end and Megan you'll know yourself as a broadcaster and journalist how hard that is to do when you're actually making and producing something and but how I actually got onto the story was there's an event there's an investigative true crime veteran and called Nancy Moscatello and she first looked at this story. Well, not it, it wasn't even a story because that's quite quite a few people have asked me like, why can't I find it online? And, and I'm like, oh no, we like I actually kind of did the story. It wasn't like we found the story elsewhere. We are the original broadcaster of the story in a way. And Nancy found this from an anonymous tip um, back in like 2015. But then what was so interesting was she was looking into it for a potential story. And then she ended up not making it as a story, but became embroiled in the story as a Mm -hmm. character and as a protagonist herself. And then she was telling me about it. So then I started to look into the story. And then that's when I came on board to build it further as a journalist and then look into it. And to be honest with you, when I first spoke to Nancy and 
I mean, we can go into the fact that Amanda wrote a blog, but I started to read Amanda's blog and look at pictures and hear testimony. And I was like, mm, okay, I need to just, I need to make sure that we've got this right because right. she is that convincing. Right. She might have cancer. You start, you listen to her blog post and you're like, no, she definitely has cancer. There's no way she doesn't have cancer. And yes, this whole episode is a spoiler alert. So if you're going to listen to Scamanda, um, you should probably come listen to this episode after you've done that. And then <laughs> yeah. you'll have fun listening to Charlie and, and yours truly talk about it. Um, but yeah, she this woman seemed to have a Ph.D. in what it's like to have cancer. So you spend much of the series wondering, well, maybe she had cancer for a little while. Maybe yeah. she had a, like a small dose of cancer, but like she definitely had some sort of illness. And then, of course, you find out at the end, the whole thing was a scam. If she had devoted one tenth of her energies to actually just working and getting a, like a, a great job. And I know she had a job for some of this time. She mm. she wouldn't have needed to commit a scam. But that that begs the question of why she did it, which we'll get to in a bit. So Nancy Muscatello gets an anonymous tip. She's a reporter. She gets an anonymous tip. You might want to look into this person who may be scamming people on cancer. And just to just to top it off, Charlie, Scamanda is not the only person to scam people when it comes to cancer like this, as it turns out, is a thing. Hmm. How How is it? How is it? A I thing? mean, like, right. How is it a thing? This is what. I, I when I first looked into it and started, honestly, I sat there with boxes and boxes of papers and documents, and I tried to access bankruptcy documents, which took me months and months and months. And and I was like, no, this isn't. Do people actually do this? And then since I released Commander, people started telling me that you know, oh, my best friend did this, or actually, it reminds me of this story. And I'm like. I, I don't know. Why do you think people do this, Megan? And I didn't realize how common it was, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are lots of motivations, right? Some people want money. Some people want attention. Some people have this uh, used to be called Munchausen's. Now they call it, I think, fictitious disorder or, or something like that. But, you know, they why does somebody uh, this doesn't sound like it was Amanda, but those people who have Munchausen's will actually hurt themselves on purpose. You know, they'll swallow yeah. bleach and things like that to to actually get into the hospital and be treated by doctors and I guess feel special. They're sick. Scamanda, I think, is a different story. I don't think she was sick. I think she was, you know, messed up as anybody would have to be to commit this crime. But I don't think she was actually mentally ill in the way somebody with Munchausen says. Um, so how did it start? Like it was 2000, what, 11? So... Amanda started a blog and I think the timing is really key to what she did and a few other things which we can go into but she started a blog in 2012 and I I remember looking back at my own career and okay where was I in 2012 what was I doing um it's a bit of a giveaway by the way that I sound that I am British mm -hmm. um <laughs> I am an American but I am British and I was actually hosting the London Olympics in 2012 as a broadcaster and I was like what was that time like well TikTok didn't exist. I'm not even sure I was really on Instagram. And I think it was all about the blogosphere and Twitter. And I think that's, that is very key to her story. So she started a blog at the time where blogging was really a thing. And it was an automatic credibility, I think, for your narrative and your story. And, um, you know, we had the mummy blogger, the, the fitness bloggers, and 
Amanda started to share her story of her diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she called her blog, What the Heck is Hodgkin's Lymphoma? And she started that blog and she was so detailed in it. And she was so raw and heartfelt and and hopeful. I mean, a lot of people, this is the thing about her. She was an inspiration. And a lot of people came to her blog and she started to get an audience. To me, she was like an early day influencer. And that's mm-hmm. how it initially started. But shall I give the spoiler away? Well, yeah, you yeah. said we're going to give spoilers away. Yeah, it's but okay. then This is for people I... who have listened to it or, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we, they know they're going to get spoilers. It's, it's still <laughs> okay, worth your good. time to go back and listen to the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think to that point, I think it's not really about the end result. What I wanted to try and show in the podcast was how she did it. And I used her blogs so she was part narrator and telling you how she did it herself mm-hmm. in a way alongside me, um, which I had a lot of fun, a lot of late nights doing and a lot of uh, sleepless nights, but a lot of fun doing. Anyway, she wrote this blog, but then this started in 2012 when she said she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then I found out that in 2010, she told a couple in San Jose that actually she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma stage four in 2010. Uh, so then, right. okay, that, that slightly doesn't add up. And then I then found out actually after the podcast that this was going on even before that. So there's a pattern of behavior, like I'm sure we'll get into the motivation, which we've touched upon a little bit, which I think is so interesting and her behavior and the psychology. But there seems to be a pattern of behavior of, lying or saying that you're you know I found out that she said she got lupus as a teenager you know I don't know whether she definitely didn't have that but people think she didn't that I've spoken Mm. to and then I feel like it grew and grew and I feel like she realized that she could get things and not necessarily money but attention or I don't know get away with not doing that project or work or something by not being very well and I think it kind of grew from there but we can talk a bit more about her um past anyway but yes she she wrote this blog and then became a bit of a blog influencer and then a local celebrity and then she infiltrated the church and then became a known person within the church and was actually called the anointed one Mm, it's so sad she took advantage of people of faith who were rooting for her and believing and praying for a miracle for her and donating to her it's just absolutely exploitative but one of the interesting things about it to me was she's married ultimately to this guy named Corey. And she met Corey because Corey was married to Alita and they had two daughters and one of them did get cancer. And they hired Amanda originally when Amanda was a teenager, like 18, to sort of come in and be with the two daughters and be a source of light play with them, teach them cheerleading or something like that. And Mm. she was this super and I think remained this super bubbly, positive force, you know, that she happens to be a criminal. We learn later, but that's how she first got folded into this family. And it seems to me, you tell me, but like she looked at this daughter's cancer and learned, you know, and I bet she saw how much attention the child got. And thank God that the child survived. Mm. But 
that seemed to me to be like where she got the idea. Like, oh, look at all the att attention that goes to this this young girl who's been stricken with this terrible disease. Yeah, and the fact that she ends up with Corey, who's twelve yeah, years old. She older steals than the husband. Her. Yeah. <laughs> and I but I also you know, when I started to look into that part of it, I did wonder because I really tried to to make sure I didn't have blinkers on and to make sure that I didn't have a a a preconceived idea of what I thought it was or wanted it to be, because I thought that was very important. Um, especially because you've got Nancy's now a character of the story and Amanda well, hated Nancy and mm -hmm. the feelings kind of mutual, really. So I Nancy, wanted the to make sure a journalist who got turned on to the story and started pushing on it. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And she pushed on it. And then then it didn't become about making the story. She didn't make the story. She just became the story and she ended up a source to the police. And she ended up being the protagonist against Amanda. So it's Amanda against yeah. Nancy, basically. And then I wanted to try and play that off in the podcast because I didn't quite want you to know who you believed or who you liked. And the reason why was because that's exactly how it played out. And I wanted to mm. show you that as a listener because I wanted you to feel how this went along and why people didn't believe Amanda, sorry, did believe Amanda, but didn't believe Nancy. Um, so to go back to Corey, Alita, the two girls, Jess and Jamie, it was Jamie that had cancer. And yet, as you said, Megan, Amanda was brought in to, to spend time with them and yeah, teach them cheerleading. And they weren't having a lot of social interaction because of um, Jamie's cancer. And she is doing really well now, thankfully. And actually she's um, just had a baby. Um, so, which is actually a genuine miracle baby for those that have listened <laughs> to the show, uh, which we can talk about. And Amanda came into the home. And one of the things I wanted to make sure was, well, was there coercive control here from Corey? Did Corey, was there any kind of grooming? I don't know, because she was so young. She, there was definitely a position of power there. She was 17. He was much older, like in his, what would he be, like late 20s, 29, 30. And um, she went to his graduation. I don't know, kind of a bit strange for me why somebody would do that. And then ended up with her. But I think you're right. There was an element of some of the things that Jamie went through and her story and what Amanda picked up. And now this becomes the pattern of behavior because she went to cancer groups for young people and mimicked some of their stories. And I think she took on other people's stories and then created her own narrative from that. She's so detailed though and knew so much and people thought she was an she must have known because she was an oncologist i mean people actually thought she was an oncologist i actually told somebody oh no she's actually not an oncologist um because she would say things about the different drugs that we use the different treatment that was used all the symptoms of what you're going through which i don't think is just something you can find off the net i think you would have to listen to people's stories and build that your own picture in your head and i think that's how I mean, there's so many reasons of how she managed to do this, but one of them was that it was very, very hard to catch her and to prove that she was lying because it was so genuine in a strange yeah. way. No, it's true. She, This woman deserves an Academy Award. She's a great actress. <laughs> we showed her picture. She's super smiley. She's got this thousand watt yeah. smile. She looks non-threatening. She looks like somebody you want to root for. 
Yeah, and, she's um, super charming. And then when you listen to her talk about it, and you the the podcast does a good job because you hired an actress to read the Amanda blog posts, and the actress does a great job. She sounds super bubbly, and she sounds like someone you'd want to know and like maybe go out for dinner with. And then you also intersperse the real Amanda because you have her on tape repeatedly speaking to the church group, speaking to others. And she, too, is she's just like the actress playing her super bubbly and so on and very, very knowledgeable about cancer, cancer drugs, you know, uh, experimental treatments. Here's just a little. This is all from Scamanda podcast um, of the actual Amanda talking about a new cancer drug. It's soundbite four. I've been fighting stage four blood cancer for the past three years to the point that doctors don't want to treat me anymore. They developed a new drug, immunotherapy, and they wanted to give it a try on me. We've been warring and praying and fundraising. And the doctor, you know, told me that I like your positivity, but you need to understand that in your situation, this drug working would be like rain in California. Hmm. Sorry, that I'm Very laughing, weird. but that's my favorite. One of my favorite when she says like rain in California, because she comes up with these like poetic quips. Yeah, she actually does. If yeah. you listen to the whole thing, she she's she's good with the phrases. She's good at sort of spinning a yarn in a way that's very believable. So she's out there. She, it's starting to grow. She she winds up with Corey, the husband of the family who she was supposed to be there helping. And then the relationship goes downhill between Amanda, Corey, and now the ex-wife, Alita, who's the mother of the two girls. And this is important because Alita, as many ex-wives who are in custody battles over their children, does not wind up really feeling all that great about Amanda. <laughs> and uh, Amanda and Corey want full custody of the daughters. And Alita's angry about it. And Alita is paying attention. And Alita's noticing she doesn't, I'm not sure this woman's on the up and up. And one of her daughters is starting to have the same feeling from inside the family, not the one who had cancer, Jamie, the other daughter, Jessa. But it's hard for them to really be heard because she's disgruntled. She's the ex-wife, you know, it's and then you've got the sunny, cheery thousand watt smile. Poor me. I have cancer on the others. Nobody wants to look at the sweet cancer victim and say, like, you don't have it. I believe the bitter ex-wife, which is how they portrayed the ex. Yeah. There's so much in that around human behavior, which is what I find so fascinating. Like I love psychology and how complex we are because I think there's so many possibilities in between good and bad. But I think we like to put them in those, um, for want of a better phrase, buckets because it helps us identify people or maybe feel safer. But if you look at the way you you described it perfectly, Megan, because if you look at Amanda, yes, very, very, to me, the typical um, manipulation, master manipulator, they're not horrible, as in how we would perceive aggressive, horrible. They're not this big bad monster that comes up to you in the street. They're somebody who is very, very charming. That's how they um, manipulate and get through the situation. Mm -hmm. And then you've got somebody like Alita who, and it really is um, in all seriousness, awful what happened to Alita because Jessa got taken off Alita for a year like I can't even imagine what that must feel like for a mother right. and and then to top that off Amanda and Amanda were, and Corey were influencing Jessa 
to make her turn against her mother. And what what do we expect Alita to portray herself like? Like a charming, happy, smiling person? No, of course not. So she is. I love that yeah, this she, happened. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> like she's not going to. So then she is desperate and heartbroken and and hurt and absolutely devastated. But then that gets perceived as like the ex, the, you know, like you said, the disgruntled ex-wife. And then Amanda used that to play into the narrative. You know, she's just she's just jealous of me because then when Alita did start to say, you know, she's faking cancer, why would then they believe the ex-wife? Because Amanda had already spun the yarn of the fact that she was not a good mom. She was doing X, Y, and Z. She was, um, you know, doing all these things, basically, trying to portray her as a bad character so then you've got this woman who's smiley, charming, Amanda I'm talking about, and now she's got cancer that's so awful and she's just trying to protect her her stepdaughter and her family from the big bad mom. So you can see how convincing it became when you talk about it like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've got to remember that there was a child in the middle of this, poor Jessa, who spent, you know, I, I, I've spoken to her a lot and she's in the podcast and she feels... She feels not only horrifically betrayed and violated, but that was her upbringing. She was lied to her whole upbringing, her whole childhood. And she feels guilty, though, for what Amanda did, because on the receiving end of some of the gifts and the kindness of people was Jessa. Jessa got free tennis lessons. She got meals. She got um, to go and see concerts, she got to appear, you know, to, she got to go to sports games. So she did receive some of that and she feels guilty because she was taking that in a, in a you know, on, under the premise of a lie, but obviously didn't realize. So, you she know, didn't there's know. a lot of deep, yeah, deep complications of relationships here. And, and it's so much more than money. In fact, to me, money doesn't even when I spoke to so many people, money wasn't the thing. Even pe- so many people spoke to me off the record because they were scared of Amanda and what she might do to them. And it was it was just about the betrayal. Mm. It, it couldn't have been about the money because if you look at what the feds say she stole, I mean, she f- defrauded people out of, it was $105,000 over, what, seven years, I think? Mm. So that's 12 grand yeah. a year. That's not enough. Like that's that it can't have been about the money. It has to, as you point out, have been about attention. You describe her almost as like having celebrity status in San Jose, in particular in her church. Um, And on top of that, it seems like she used it to make other people do her mothering, take care of her household responsibilities. That I've seen as a pattern in other cases because I'm obsessed with cases like this. So I, I absolutely love like the stories about Munchausen by proxy or all that. But like they use it to make other people do their responsibility. So poor Jess is over there and uh, somebody else is going to have to make Jess's dinner because Amanda's too sick. Yeah. And you said about the hundred and five thousand dollars. It wasn't about the money, but also it's important to point out that the way of the laws, um, very black and white, right? Our justice system. So the only way that they could get Amanda criminally was for wire fraud because technically it's not 
you know, you can lie. I could sit here and lie and not be arrested. It's not illegal to lie. Um, even though it, it obviously has a horrific impact on people, that's not against the law. So they had to find a way to get her legally. And the only way was wire fraud. So if she hadn't, if, and that was because she did a go, like a an online fund page, like a GoFundMe. So that's how they managed to criminally charge her. Now, if she'd have not done it online, where she'd have just collected money um, through check and through cash, she would not be in prison. I've just given it away where is she is now. Right? But yeah, so she would have got I away with it because, that. yeah, because there was lots of money. So, it was, so there was so much more money, but it was cash and checks. And um, I've got a picture of her in church and she was part of a mega church. So think how many thousands of people that are, that, that is, that's not just a couple of hundred people, that's thousands. And they're putting money and throwing money at her feet on stage. So then you think, well, how much money was that? And then how much money over that seven years, Megan, did she collect in cash and check? Never mind what you said, in kind, which was through babysitting. And there was a lot of patterns of, babysitting when she said she was in hospital and Corey was with her so I don't know well I mean she actually was in hospital because she took loads of pictures of herself in hospital but there was people that were trying to help her babysitting cleaning um cooking meals gifting things raising money uh for her even there was somebody um who gave a nutritional supplement every month so she could just go on and a membership to an like a nutritional supplement so every month she could order as much as she wanted so how much did that come to over seven years so mm -hmm. i think there was so much more but none of that counted as the criminal charge it was just the wire fraud which makes you think oh my gosh how do people how does that i don't know maybe we should change the law One of the great moments in the podcast is where you because you interview the nanny to the family to you know the Corey Amanda family and it, at one point the nanny talks about how she had a wealthy friend who wanted to help Amanda and the person made a donation of like 50 bucks and Amanda was mad and mocked the donation to the nanny and that's one of those like oh the veils down moments where like, she's bad. She's bad. No, no one would ever mock a donation from anybody helping anybody in for, with cancer. But there are these little clues there where you start to see who she really is. She's yeah. not the sweet, bright smile, lovely. She's a fraudster. She is a fraudster. And we wouldn't know had not been for Nancy. So Nancy, the investigative reporter, is fun to listen to. She's almost a co-host in the in the in the podcast. And she also wrestled with her doubts like. I know she's a scammer, but is she a scammer? She says so many things that seem legit. I, so here's a little bit of Nancy uh, Moscatello from the podcast talking about, you know, her trying to deal with this and, and how she got sort of um, involved. So this is SOT three. I felt really torn more so with is this real or not? Does she have cancer or not? So. Every time I would read something, I'd say, oh, no, she's got cancer. Like, Ugh, look at this photo. Like, she, this is intense looking. This looks like, she, yeah, she has cancer. And then I would read on a little bit further and I'd go, oh, no, she doesn't have cancer. The detail and the energy and everything that went into it, it just felt really real. 
So I start looking through the bankruptcy documents and there's just pages and pages of debt. And I figured the best place to start is going through and see what that debt's all about. And there's not one doctor, one medical expense. It's just all debt. That was an exciting moment, too, because Amanda had to file for bankruptcy and Nancy actually went and looked at the filings like what what's in there? Are there an actual cancer victim would have had lots of doctor's bills? And that's I I think for Nancy and for the audience, that's a big aha moment. Yeah, there's also this this document. You just reminded me when I first saw it that um, I'm trying to remember the figures now. It was like a one in front of a zero five or something and or zero or two five and it, it if you look at the bank we held it up to the light and it was doctored so it was actually for like 2500 or something like that and it was to do with because amanda ended up having two boys um to quarry and it was to do with her pregnancy but she'd put a one in front of it and and done it as if it was for her cancer treatment but they claimed bankruptcy several times and um in the podcast there's a moment where you hear both of them uh, take the stand and you know swear under oath and talk about their bankruptcy and i was like trying to get hold of that audio for ages and ages because it was a really key point and to me it also pointed about i have to be careful what i say but further knowledge of what was happening, not just with Amanda herself, because it was well, also. I can say, I, I can say, you can say, you say. I, I can tell you, <laughs> I, in my opinion, Corey knew everything. In my opinion, Corey is guilty too, um, and that's one of the mysteries. People have to decide for themselves in listening to the podcast whether the husband knew. But my opinion is he clearly mm. knew and helped her. How else was he taking these trips to the hospital with her out of town for days? where we now know she was not in any hospital. And he, well, she did. At, what the, the, the crazy thing about all this is she did go to hospital. Like she did go to clinical trials. She did see doctors. She did sit in hospital and take photos of herself hooked up to IV machines. There's a, there's a picture right in front of your screen now. She did do these things. So she wasn't sat behind a keyboard, like a keyboard warrior, just putting out this narrative. She actually did spend her time in hospitals taking selfies. And I would just want to pick up on what you said about Corey. So again, remember what we we're talking about with the justice system. Just because you haven't been convicted of something doesn't mean that you didn't do it. It's just the bar of evidence with our justice system is so high. And if you listen to the podcast carefully, I planted some things there on purpose and one of them was the bankruptcy because they both swear under oath and talk about it. And the other one is um, Nancy. I'm sure you'll want to talk about this, Megan, but Na Amanda was taken to court by Nancy for civil harassment. So Amanda no, the tried to sue versa. Nancy. Vice versa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nancy, so Amanda, Amanda so tried to sue Nancy. And that's then, a crazy thing. Yeah, and Corey, again, took the stand and said that he was at every appointment with Amanda. So there's lots of little things that I dot in on purpose, if you listen to carefully, that will give you clues that maybe I'm not allowed to say outright. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, <laughs> that the beauty of, you know, being an American, now, I, now you are, um, <laughs> is 
you can offer your opinion and uh, that you, that's it's protected as free speech. And that is 100 percent my opinion. So but let, let's talk about I, the, I'm learning um, about the. Uh, yeah, I know the UK has much stricter rules um, about the, the lawsuit. So Nancy is on to um, Amanda. She's on to her. She got the anonymous tip. She starts looking into this woman's blog. She starts noticing things like. Uh, the hospital gown she's posting photos of doesn't actually match up with that hospital. She notices little things. She's a smart reporter and um, starts sniffing around her, starts talking to the ex-wife, Alita, who's got other info. And crazy ass Amanda sues Nancy. She tries to get a restraining or that's how crazy this woman was. Normally, like if if a reporter's on to you, you, most people probably give it up, just like close up your scam mm. and move to another town. She goes on offense against the investigative journalist and actually drags her into court trying to get a restraining order against her all while in role. I am a cancer victim. This lunatic reporter is after me and now completely upends poor Nancy's life to the point where you don't know how the judge is going to rule in this court proceeding, whether he's going to see the truth, what we think is the truth going into this episode, or whether he's going to actually restrain Nancy from any further reporting on Amanda. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just listening to when you were explaining it, because um, I think I, I understand, right, this might sound weird, but I understand why Amanda did that, if you get into her head a little bit, which is what I was trying to do, and I don't know what this says about me, but um, without giving, putting myself across in the wrong way. Because if you've lied that long and you've got so many people adoring you, and she did, um, like I said, she was a local celebrity. People knew her name and knew her story. She's not going to stand there and run away or take it. She's in too deep. So I suppose what do you do when you're in too deep? you know you go on the offense so she attacked she did sue nancy when she tried to she got a restraining order out against her and she accused nancy of civil harassment and it, it could have in a way gone either way because um something i try and show in the podcast is well nancy did call people she did try and find out information so what the thing about Amanda does that's so clever because Amanda is very clever. She uses some of the truth to try and showcase that because she said, you know, Nancy was harassing and Nancy was calling people. Nancy was calling family members. Not as much as Amanda made out, but Nancy kind of was. So you do wonder like, oh my gosh, and could she try and shut her up? And because Nancy was part of the press, then obviously the laws here do protect, as you said, freedom of press and so but it was on a fine line and imagine if that would have happened and you know it, that was like two days of Nancy's time never mind of six months of, of preparation and two hundred thousand dollars as well of a court mm -hmm. case and that would have ruined a lot of people and Nancy's worked in true crime for a long time but Amanda could have ruined her reputation so you can see how deep this goes but she turns up the heat and then she turns up the heat again, because at that point, that's when the police, the local police started looking into her. And instead of stepping away, she goes forward So her 
MO in a way is to turn the heat up, to attack again, to go in even deeper. And I do honestly believe it's because she kind of believes her own narrative and mm. is in too deep to be able to step away. And I'm not going to label her because what one thing I did want to point out, actually, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I did really want to point this out is you mentioned uh, Munchausen syndrome and there's Munchausen by internet. And one of the things I didn't do, which people have questioned, is I didn't talk about Amanda's mental health at all. And the reason why is because it was never brought up by the police in the case, um, by her defence, in the sentencing in any place at all. So I thought it was really important that I didn't go and diagnose her because this is also kind of textbook narcissist behavior. Um, it's compulsive lying. And I've, you know, we can get to it, but I have spoken to Amanda. I have met her. I've had conversations with her. And I genuinely believe that she believes her own lies in a way, maybe not at an unconscious level, but definitely somewhere on a, you know, conscious level or convincing herself otherwise and when somebody does that my point is that they're not going to walk away and they're not going to hide they're just going to go forward and make themselves the victim and that's what she did i mean to the point of lying under oath in a bogus court proceeding against a reporter that's like now you really are you know you're you're compounding crime with more crime you know you can be arrested for that too she's lucky she wasn't prosecuted for that Corey too for that matter um so it, you mentioned the detective who ultimately Nancy goes to and tries to get interested in this in San Jose, because, you know, what's the point of all this other than, you know, there, there needs to be accountability. And this guy gets frustrated, too. Like he he also is trying to figure this out and call people's attention to it. You think once it's in the hand of the police in San Jose, it's nearly over, but it's not. But here's just a little uh, from the podcast on Detective Martinez trying to figure out um, whether she actually had attended this hospital, City of Hope, that she posted on. Detective Martinez was waiting for a call back from City of Hope to confirm Amanda was a patient there. I sent them the blog that Nancy had sent me. They took a while to get back to me, like a week. So they gave me an email basically saying, no, she's not a patient. She's never been a patient. And that was from their legal department. And I got chills because I was finally, after all these calls or all these emails, all these phone conversations, I have her. I know she's a fraudster now. And Charlie, just Ooh. that moment, <laughs> right? It was so big because one of the things you do a great job of outlining is HIPAA prevented. Yeah the investigation of Amanda time and time again. So just to get the one letter from the one hospital saying, no, she's never been a patient here was huge. Yeah, it was huge. A HIPAA laws protected. So one, we talked about wire fraud. So how do you actually get somebody? And Amanda's case was the first in its history in America. It was the first of its kind in ever in IRS history. And I have found out since the podcast released that the podcast is now being used as an example for other police in different states, basically. Mm. And I know there's another case going on somewhere else at the moment, and it's being used to help them build a case, which is amazing that 
it's great you know we could tell this story and and do that because it's so hard because again like i said you can't put somebody behind bars for lying um and she was protected by HIPAA laws so you couldn't access her medical records so what detective martinez had to do was try and ask questions in a way that wasn't giving away her medical history and that was one of them like okay was she a patient here because she said on her blog so it's like cross-referencing her blog and and exactly where she was she said she was a patient here so can you at least just tell me whether she was a patient there and because at one point they were both Nancy so Nancy became a source for Detective Martinez and then it just they hit a dead end every time because they couldn't access the basic thing was to show whether she had cancer or not but then you think if she didn't have can if she did have cancer then you would just if somebody you know accused me I'd just present them with my medical records right so mm-hmm. but again that there's no evidence even if she didn't that's still not hard evidence um and detective martinez did make contact with her and this is a funny story and again shows her behavior and said oh you know can you prove can you send me your medical records and and she was like yes no problem and so she actually marched herself down to the police station with an envelope mm. full of her documents with doctor's letters in them real doctor's letters the other interesting thing and i'm coming from someone who wasn't raised in this culture so in the uk we have the nhs and um, the national health service and our medical records are one so i can go to a hospital in london and then i can go to a hospital in the north of england completely nothing to do with the london hospital and my medical records will you know they'll be able to access exactly the same thing whereas in the states you can go to a different state and a different hospital and nobody knows that you've just been in that other hospital. So she would go from one hospital to another hospital and to one um, you know, accident and emergency to another accident and emergency. So then nobody ever connected the dots because you don't share medical records. Mm. I think that is something that's changing actually in the state of California. So that's how but she, that's another how she real got real medical way. records. Yeah. That's how she got real medical yeah. records because she was yeah. faking it even with the doctors and in emergency rooms. Yeah, because she would. So that's how she did it, which I think is important to talk about because a lot of people are like, but how, how? And and again, when I was um, speaking to all the people involved in her story, her friends or former friends, some still believed her at the time. So I had to be very careful, especially because Nancy was depicted as this like the enemy now, this person who was vindictively going after this poor woman who's got cancer. So I had to be so careful and be really independent when I was speaking to people because a lot of people still uh, believed her. And it was because she, people had seen her in hospital. People had right. gone to visit her. So so they're like, well, no, it, the nanny I've seen picked her, her up from the hospital in the middle of the night exactly. one night. Like she was, yeah. she was definitely in the bed. Exactly. So you're like, who would you believe, Megan? I think I'd probably believe Amanda. Because I've seen her. I've sat by her bedside. I've seen the IV tubes in her arm. I've seen the hundreds and hundreds of selfies. Her her shaved head, losing her hair. There you go. The oxygen tube in her nose. Um, you know, the the I, she collapsed and fainted in church and wet herself and was taken off by an ambulance. To me, that is proof and evidence of what this woman is saying. So that's how 
complex and deep it was. She flew to New York to a clinical trial. That's what so she said. She but she, she did that? fly there. And yeah, she, she went did. to. So what is I mean, she, she, she just walks in like, hey, I'm here for the clinical trial, too. And they give her the, the medicine, even though she doesn't have cancer. No, I don't think she she took part in the whole thing, but I think she definitely went. Well, I know she definitely went to meet the consultant. She signed up. And yes, she got that far. Oh, my God. Which is so mind You point out in the podcast, it's like kind of disturbingly easy to get admitted into the hospital and to get medical supplies. Like there's, yeah. you know, where does the doctor's office get its medical supplies? There, there are stores you can walk into. You can buy an oxygen tank. You can do all sorts of things to make yourself look like you're actually in a medical facility. Yeah. And please don't do this. Don't use this as our <laughs> conversation to go and do this. Right. I was just thinking about that. But not, yes, it's not very an instruction easy. manual. No, please. Um, yeah, I, you know, I could go on the internet now. I had a look. I could go on the internet and I could order everything I needed to make it look like I wasn't very well. I could order a wheelchair. I could order um, an oxygen tube. Um, you know, I could order bandages. You can order anything. And you can also walk into an accident and emergency room and get help. You can say that you're dehydrated because you've got, you know, you're having um, chemotherapy. You could say that you weren't feeling very well and they're not going to say, mm, no, let me check your records to, to make sure you have cancer. They're going to treat you for what you're not for the cancer, but they're going to treat you for dehydration, for example. Yeah, it's an honor system. I mean, we're not this isn't such a huge problem that the doctors and nurses are now like, oh, we got to make sure she's really got the cancer because this is a thing. Um, yeah, so it's an honor system. It and it was it was pretty easy for her to get these pictures, as it turns out. But Nancy noticed something that was pretty telling um, about all these blog posts. And this is where smart uh, investigative journalism comes in. Not what was there, but what wasn't there. Here's soundbite six. One thing I noticed right away is Amanda would talk about facilities or names of of the places she was going, but there was never any mention of the actual doctors or nurses or the people, you know, that were basically saving her life on a daily basis. It was always, you know, very generic. And that stood out to me as, as strange. Right, because it's a different matter altogether when you say it was this doctor by name who treated me. Now it's a lot easier to check. Yeah, and we there was things like um you could zoom in in some of the pictures and see logos and you're like, mm, hang on, does that logo match with where she says she is? No, it doesn't. You mentioned the hospital gowns. And the other thing um that I looked at was there's a picture of some pill bottles. And I didn't notice this until halfway through making it, to be honest. And I zoomed in and I was like, because I was cross-referencing things. And I was like, oh my God, there's a different name on that pill bottle, but she turned it. So you could only see like, but it was a man's name. You could see the first few letters. So again, it's just, it, it was just very well, very, very detailed and very well, yeah, orchestrated. You, um, you put out a, like a mashup of some of her lies, the actual Amanda, not the actress reading the blogs. Um, to promote the podcast. I've got to play it for the audience as it's entertaining and it gives them a feel for just the number of things she said. Uh, here's soundbite one. I'm a stage four refractory blood cancer patient. I'm still a patient. 
I'm a four-time relapse. I'm in a clinical trial right now. I still have active cancer. Technically a survivor too. I'm in the hospital all the time. I'm traveling to New York for my clinical trial. No, I'm a terminal patient. I'm in a clinical trial just trying to buy more time. I have a website, so anybody interested in learning more about my story, just supportamanda.com. So anybody who wants to go on there and follow my story and root me on, I love uh, prayers and happy thoughts and anything helps. Oh my God, Charlie, <laughs> it's so good. It's oh God, we had a laugh making that. It's like, I couldn't stop laughing. I've seen that a million times and it still makes me laugh. And I shouldn't it's laugh. It's so well done. That, 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 there, is a, there is obviously like a seriousness under it. But you just, when you look at that, you, you it kind of fits home, I think, and puts it into perspective. Her reference there to, I'm, I'm a terminal patient, reminds me of another strain in the, in the show, which is about how she did infiltrate actual cancer support groups. I mean, this is where it's sick and was working with the American Cancer Society on like, you know, not fundraisers for her exactly if I, if memory serves, but just sort of, you know, let's beat cancer type events. And they didn't know either. You know, you in their defense, they don't they, again, it's the honor system. If you go to them and say, I have stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, they believe you. They don't ask for medical records to, to make sure. And she took advantage of all these good hearts. Yeah, she really did. And I think I, I think we've got to be careful that we don't end up living in a totally cynical system where, because a few people, and Detective Martinez actually said this to me, well, well, they should have checked or the church should have checked and where's their protocol? And I was like, mm, well, should they though? Because um I don't know. I'm a survivor myself of, of um, abuse, and I, I would hate to be questioned like that because we do live in a culture where we still, uh, sadly, blame the victim. And you shouldn't need you shouldn't for the people that genuinely need help. I think is what I'm trying to say to walk in somewhere in these amazing charities and non non profit organisations that do help so many people. You shouldn't have to go through a checklist and show your medical records or prove that something's happened to you. I think that's a really awful and sad world. So I don't think it should be on them or on any, because a lot of the people who I spoke to were like, you know, I don't consider myself a naive person. Like, I'm not stupid. I don't understand why, why I was taken in by this. And I'm like, no, 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 you're thinking about it all wrong. It's not Hodgkin's, it's not the, um, American Cancer Society's fault. It's not the Hodgkin's Lymphoma Society's fault. It's not the church's fault. These people, all the people that were victimized by her, these people are just that good. Groomers and manipulators are that good. They infiltrate society and do these things and spin a narrative as this charming and lovely person that's helping people. And to go to your point is, well, she did fundraise and help people. She even sent um, cancer patients packages because she said I know what it feels like and I know what you need and, which is obviously a lie but she did send care packages to people that mm. needed them so you're like what what's so fascinating about her is she was inspirational she did stand on stage she did offer hope to people and um, even though it was a lie but at the time it inspired people it gave people hope in in a situation that you know, this was coming in, you know, but the back end of this was coming into COVID times. And 
you know, she inspired people and raised money for people. So it's that, very I mean, conflicting. One the, it's one of the worst parts of it because it's like inspiration that you then find out is totally false. And this yeah. is a fraudster is like you're going to be more cynical. You just can't help it. Um, the IRS is ultimately who got her. So, you know, we just had on the show these two IRS agents, these whistleblowers who investigated Hunter Biden. And these guys know the law forward and backward. They know exactly what you can and cannot do when it comes to raising money, wire fraud, all of it. I mean, you do not want to get sideways with IRS agents. And that's ultimately who got her. Um, the feds got her. So they looked into this for a long, long time, got all the records and ultimately brought her to mm -hmm. court. And we don't need to speculate or couch whether she did it because she admitted it. Ultimately, she pleaded guilty. She admitted she never had cancer. The whole thing was a fraud. And she got one of the most remarkable prison sentences for something like this that we've ever seen. Yeah, she got five years in federal prison with no appeal. And it was Special Agent Lee, I'd love to give her a mention, from the IRS, who's amazing, who ended up taking her down, obviously, with the information from Detective Martinez and then backing that with the information that Nancy had collected and given to the police. Now, the thing about that is it became very personal for these people. So, again, you look at a few people, oh, it wasn't a lot of money, and it's like, that's not the point. Um, for Agent Lee... We've all been affected by cancer in some way, whether it's through ourselves or our family and through a loved one or a friend. And so Detective Martinez, it became very personal. How could somebody do this? They, they could. She could be asking money from my family. And then Special Agent Lee had someone close to her who had cancer. And she was like, how can somebody do this? So I think it was very emotionally driven which i think is important to point out but you know megan you said about her saying that she didn't have cancer now now this is what i find so i looked into this really closely and i played out the statement in the podcast on purpose the full statement because i wanted to showcase you exactly what she was like this is the statement she made to the court read by actor kendall horn your honor there aren't enough words to adequately express how horrific I feel and how sorry I am that this happened. My heart aches every day thinking that I did something that hurt other people. This is the worst thing I've ever done and the worst mistake I could have made. I don't sleep well at night because this haunts me daily. I was there in the sentencing and I met her, I watched it. And so I worked really closely with the, the actress, Kendall, who I brought on board to try and mimic exactly that. So we had, you know, we were stood in this room recording and I was mimicking her, her body language. Kendall was copying me because she didn't actually say that she never had cancer. And she right, actually she pleaded didn't. Guilty. Yeah, she pled guilty in the end. Initially, she didn't. Initially... She didn't plead guilty until the very, very end, until she was backed into a corner where she had to because they had proof, like physical proof that she didn't have cancer. But again, I find that so interesting. The reason why I bring that up is because um, I have spoke to her and, and she 
thinks that she was victimized and she was targeted by Nancy and Alita. Oh, my Lord. Still? Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> tell it to your cellmate. Okay. The jig is up, Amanda. I hate to tell you, you've been caught. And your guilty plea tells us everything we need to know. So she's off. It is a big sentence and it's a great sentence. Yeah, it's it a totally appropriate sentence. So the husband gets no charges for the reasons that you mentioned earlier, but they have two boys. And what happens now? Like, did they stay? Are they still together? She's in prison until what, 27? Yeah, it's a good point you made, actually, about the sentence. I'd love to bring that up because the recommended sentence was 12 to 18 months. So you can see how right. hard the judge went on her five years. And that was in a courthouse in San Jose, which I believe um, you could probably inform me more. I was fairly liberal. So I think it was mm -hmm. really unexpected. And I remember sitting in the court and everybody just <gasps> gasped. But even the, you know, even the prosecutors, because I didn't think they thought that would happen. And I feel like the judge was like, no, I can see through you. And I, we need to show that this is not acceptable and it's not OK. Make an example and of you. Yes. And the people that you've hurt. And again, you know, we talk, I find the law very interesting because it's very old fashioned in a way. It's very adversarial where it's about, you know, uh, I don't know, belongings, money, you've stolen my property, this is mine, et cetera, et cetera. And less about behavior, which is why it's harder sometimes to convict these crimes. But I thought that was really important sentence to show that these things are serious. They might not be your typical thing. Um, and a lot of it is an emotional trauma and damage, but that is as valuable, if not more, than materials. So she did get five years um, in prison. She's actually got a slight early release i think it's there's about 10 months off the last time i checked um i presume that's for good behavior she's been in prison since september of last year 2022 um megan you asked me about the boys yes she's got two young boys they are with um her father uh, the, their father Corey. um and i believe the the parents are um is in amanda's parents are also helping look after uh, the children mm -hmm. but then you've also got a you know, there's Jessa, who uh, we mentioned, and that was the the daughter who, that's Corey's daughter, um, and Alita's daughter, who Amanda, they did get custody of for a year, who they called her bonus daughter. Amanda, so they have this like weird thing for names, yeah. yeah where Miracle um, baby, bonus daughter. Miracle baby, bonus daughter. I mean, Amanda's mum referred to herself as goddess. I mean, that Please. to me She's tells another questionable everything. character. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so you got to think about these two young boys who thought that their mom was dying. I mean, at one point, Jessa... Right, thank you for yeah. raising that. That's another thing you feel like, oh my God, she led her own children to believe that their mother had cancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's when you start to go, okay, <laughs> like, wh what? Um, right, she's because a at, sick person. Yeah, because at not, one point... Not in the way she claims. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, they've got these two boys and Jessa. And at one point, the three of them were told that they might have to donate some of their own, you know, organs or or, or um, blood bone um, and platelets, oh bone God. marrow for her. There was no reason to do that. Like that didn't bring in more money, you know? That, right. What was the reason behind doing that i mean and also at one point um she she was given money for a funeral mm. that she'd planned like it goes so i'm kind of like 
feel like I'm stuttering, but but purely out of trying to trying to bring to, to the audience, to your audience, how deep this went. This was so much more than, you know, we called it scam and uh, and it goes back to the question you asked me in the beginning, Megan, and you started talking about the the title and giving things away. And to me, the reason why I was like iffy with the name, because the name is brilliant and amazing and clever, was purely because it to me it's so much more than a scam. Yeah, it is. I mean, you get into like the the harm she did to her own children, the psychological damage. And speaking of psychological damage, none of hers has been addressed. She's not getting the help she needs in federal prison. And so when she gets out, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I think she's going to go back to it. I really do. I, I think she's going to perpetrate another scam because it's inside of her. She did it for too many years. You know, she's pathological, this woman. I, I, what do you think? Million dollar question, right? Because I, I suppose that's why I brought up that she, I don't think she believes that on a, I know this might sound like on a surface level, I don't, you know, you know, deep down she might know, but, you know, the, we can separate ourselves, can't we, and convince ourselves of things. I think we've all done that to an extent. Obviously nothing like this, but I, I always think of like, relatable behavior to try and understand and um, which i think is important because it helps you maybe predict of whether somebody is safe or not and if she doesn't think she's really done something wrong and she feels like she's been a victim of this kind of witch hunt again from nancy and alita then how could she possibly not if she doesn't think it's wrong how can she then change. redeem herself and change exactly so that is, a lot of people think that she will and I must tell you this, um, because when she was sentenced, she en she was originally raised in California and she was sentenced in San Jose and she perpetrated her scam, let's say, um, in San Jose in Northern California. But then she moved to Texas afterwards before she went to prison. And we found out that she was going into hospitals even after she was sentenced, because there was a gap of about, I'd say, three or four months before she went in prison. So, I mean, wow. what does that tell you? And um, yeah, I was kind of shocked myself, even though I shouldn't have been because I spent so much time looking into this and making the show. Um, and then, you know, it does beg the question of, well, is she was still doing it after she was sentenced and called out and going into hospitals. But she also thinks that she's not, she thinks there is, she says there is something wrong and then um, people don't know the full story. So All right. I think that's why the judge put her in prison for so long and gave her a five-year sentence because the judge said, I don't, I believe you're a threat to public safety because I believe you're going to do this again. And even when I spoke to what what I also find quite surprising with the people that I interviewed was how forgiving they were. I don't think personally I would have been as forgiving or as kind. To some, you know, some people really, you know, well, yeah, and I mean, it's nice no to say, she shows but... all these people in the faith community who are generally yeah, exactly. forgiving uh, yeah. to begin with. I, I wanted to say two things. Number one, you've got to listen to the podcast to find out the extraordinary job that Amanda had and was promoted to during the midst of all of this. I mean, if you think it's not happening in, in any town that you would ever frequent, think again. It could be closer than you think. So I'll leave that as a tease for the podcast. And the second thing is, this is a reminder to be very careful about those online GoFundMes. 
you know, yeah. like be careful before you, if you want to help people with cancer, you could consider St. Jude's. You could consider making a donation to the American Cancer Society, but you should look at them too, just to make sure there's a the online charity website that will tell you how many dollars, how many cents of the dollar that you donate goes to actually help victims as opposed to like line the pockets of the charity organizers. And those, I always check those before I make a donation. And I have to say, I almost never support a GoFundMe because I've just seen too many of these stories. Um, it's also why I don't give money to homeless people on the street. You know, like there is a un unhealthy percentage of those folks who are scamming too. If you want to help, there are actual organizations who will make sure the money gets to the right person and people who are really suffering. Nothing's foolproof. But, you know, randomly going to supportamanda.com is not a good idea, <laughs> as the podcast makes really clear. And, you know, you like it just made me think about this era we're in as well with social media and what you can put out there. You have to be careful what you believe and what you see. But then I just feel so sad listening to you because I'm like, oh, God, maybe I'm just being too empathetic. But I just feel sad that we're in that situation where no, well, we, where you, you, won't, you won't donate to a GoFundMe page because you're questioning whether that person's lying or not. And then there's people that really do need support and help because I don't think it's as, you know, mis misfortune isn't something we necessarily bring on ourselves. You might be brought up in a really tough environment. Um, you know, you might, a lot of people that are on the street is through domestic abuse or through divorce. But again, it, you know, who do you know who's real and really needs help and who doesn't? And then Amanda mm -hmm. just make this Amanda story. I didn't want it to be a case where you then start to doubt people. Um, but hopefully a way that can, showcase these behaviors because there are red flags that you can look out for and there are genuine people. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to get to the point where somebody's like, I need a, a month leave of absence because I have some hideous cancer diagnosis. And you're like, I'm going to need to see a note from your doctor. <laughs> Bob does have cancer. Okay. All right. Now, you know, that's not how we've operated in our society. And, and this problem is not so ubiquitous. We need to change that. But when it comes to actually donating your money, do be careful. We Yahoo responding to the huge popularity of Scamanda podcast. Again, everybody should listen to it. It's such a good summer podcast. You know, like you want something that's like, again, it's not frivolous as we've been discussing. It's quite serious, but Charlie does such a good job of presenting it in a kind of fun way to, for lack of a better word, you'll enjoy it. In any event, it got their attention and they went on to talk about some of the many, many examples of people who have done this over the last few years who have been caught just to tick off a couple, um, TikToker Madison Russo arrested, charged with defrauding 439 people out of more than $37,000 after she faked a cancer diagnosis. 19 years old, said she had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, stage two pancreatic cancer, and a tumor the size of a football. She was caught after people with a background in medicine pointed out discrepancy in her story. Um, Taiwanese fitness instructor, Mian Bobo confessed she'd lied about having late stage pancreatic cancer for three years. She too posted photos of IVs, the hospital, her alleged hair loss, just like Scamanda. Her ruse was up after a man who said he was her ex-husband revealed uh, it was a lie. Uh, Rhode Island woman Sarah Jane Cavanaugh pretended to be a former Marine with cancer, received more than $280,000 in donations and benefits over five years before she was caught in 2022. This person went all in, said she was in her, wounded by an IED in Iraq, developed cancer from the burn pits. She got nearly six years in federal prison. I mean, we could keep going. 
So beware. (laughs) Come on, people. You you know, God, what how do you think it makes people feel that really do have cancer and that have lost people from cancer? Why would you ever want to use that as a thing? But again, that's why they get away with it. Well, maybe not, because you've just read people that haven't. So clearly they're not anymore, which is great. But it's again using that cancer ruse because you're not going to question somebody who says they've got cancer because it's awful. So I think you, I'm sure you're already considering this because the show is such a success. I think part two, you got to find these other people. Like we need more <laughs> stories just like this. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be one that hasn't been out there, but I would 100% <laughs> listen to a podcast about this TikToker Madison Russo and how she did. Like what's, what's act two going to be for you now? Cause you got to keep this going somehow. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not short of stories. Uh, I've actually had so many people contact me um, that have had stories like this, or actually there's a few people that I've looked into that haven't been caught yet. And I'm seeing if there's something yeah. I can do around, yeah, where there's like evidence gathering or people are suspicious. So I'm having a look into a few things, but yeah, if people um, have a story or want me to look into something, then please, along this line, then definitely please contact me. You can contact me via my website or social media. Um, But yes, I do have a little thing up my sleeve. Um, Because because again, people people absolutely loved and and really did enjoy it, Um, which, you know, I'm so grateful for because um, I think, you know, you all know Megan, but I think people sometimes don't realize how much work goes in behind the scenes to put these things together and, you know, it took a took a long time and then to see and hear it being uh, I don't know appreciated and received in the way it has just means everything because I can create something and and if you don't hear it and get this response then it doesn't really mean anything and then it was funny because uh, so many people have told me now different stories about Amanda and I did record a few bonus episodes I listened to them oh my god did you I was like I have to tell this story and there was this poor um this teacher who actually left her teaching career because of Amanda, I'll say no more. And oh gosh, in the end, I was like, please, please go back into teaching. And actually somebody messaged me earlier in the week who was like, if if this woman, she was anonymous, I can't say her name, because um, she was slightly concerned because she's still in the community. And believe it or not, there are still a few people supporting Amanda in that community. Oh yes, exactly. People. But but um, the, the bonus episodes make one thing clear. They remind me of something that, that I've known, which is people who do this kind of thing tend to have a long history of dishonesty. It's if you yeah. just dig a little, you know, you go you yeah. went back to her college years and those are yeah, did, I'll yeah. leave that as a tease. But um, there was a man I knew in New York City who was accused of not being a Bernie Madoff, but being like a mini Madoff. And um, they it turned out this guy had he tried he was trying to pass to get it i think it's called the series 7 exam where you get your license to participate in the financial industry in certain ways and it turned out he had had another person take the exam for him now that's what 30 years earlier by this point but i'm telling you like once you cross that ethical line yeah. you stay on the the wrong side of it uh, it's like once you cross it it's very hard to get back onto the other side where you were not a criminal it really is. And it's just we've just seen it so many times. So it's not it's you were right. It was smart to go back once you realized what you had and see what else we could find in Amanda's past. Listen, I am so happy to meet you, Charlie. I'm so happy for the success of the show. Thank you. And I look forward to the next submission.
and the next Scamanda. <laughs> I'll keep you updated. Thanks so much for having me. All the best. Thank you all for joining me today. I want to tell you that tomorrow we are going to bring you my interview with Governor Ron DeSantis, the very first time he sits down with yours truly. I would love to hear your thoughts about it once you hear it. So make sure to send me a note after you watch at Megan. Email me at M-E-G-Y-N at MeganKelly.com. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.